0: Welcome everybody to a long overdue new episode of the After Ed Podcast. I'm Jason Vest. On today's episode, I have Trisha Pettis and Michaela Liu. They are personalized learning coaches at Southview Middle School, which is just outside of Minneapolis. But more importantly, they are sisters. In this episode, Trisha and Michaela will talk about making the mindset shift to personalized learning, some of the obstacles they've seen and give you strategies to implement personalized learning in your classroom. Without further ado, enjoy the show. Welcome everyone today to another edition of the After Ed Podcast. Uh, I'm fortunate today to have with me Tricia Pettis and Michaela Liu. They are both personalized learning coaches at Southview Middle School uh, in Edina Public School District, which is just outside of Minneapolis. And also, uh, they recently told me an added bonus—they uh, are both sisters. So, uh, Trisha Michaela, thank you for agreeing to be on the show. Thanks for having us.
1: We're excited. Thanks.
0: We're honored. Um, so, look, let's just jump right into it. Um, uh, Trisha, I believe you wrote a blog post back in September that was titled "Personalized Learning: Where Do We Start?" And I think that that really is a great place for us to start. Um, So could you give us the 30,000 foot perspective of personalized learning?
2: Yes, uh, I'd love to, and just a side note, um, each of our blogs uh, Kayla and I write together, uh, we wanted to document our journey with personalized learning, and and we're so glad that we have that um, now to look back on, because once you get into it, it's almost hard to remember where you came from, but really personalized learning has many different definitions, but we see it as actively placing learners at the center and engaging them in the learning process. You know, so really it's still best practices of education, but we're helping them develop agency, Um, you know, shift away from just compliance and uh, being dependent on teachers. But the goal is to help one understand not just what they are learning, but how they learn and empowering them to seek pathways that will help them develop and refine essential skills. So with that definition in mind, what we did was we started by establishing some common language and really we looked at how do teachers help kids learn and can we name that? And then by naming it and including students in on understanding those learning pathways, can we give them choice? So we looked at oftentimes teacher provide direct instruction, which we decided to call teacher seminar there's times where we ask them to work collaboratively in small group, and we called that collaborative groups. And there's times that we want to see if they can do the work independently. So we call it independent work or independent flex. Um, so we 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 spent a lot of time initial um, training teachers and students on understanding um, the norms and next. Expectations for each learning pathway so what does teacher seminar look like sound like and feel like and why might somebody choose teacher seminar or learning directly from the teacher and we'd have kids experience it and then reflect on it so again it was the entry point for us was having teachers take what they're already doing doing name it for kids and have them reflect on it
0: oh. Yeah, and I mean, I think that um, a couple of the words that you used really stood out to me. Um, first of all, the notion that um, you know, a lot of what uh, kind of blowback I get from a learner-centered uh, or personalized approach uh, is that um, kids are just left to do whatever they want to do. Um, so I like that you said, you know, also that there's an individual Um, deliberately individual space and also a collaborative space um, for that work to take place and then probably the most important thing and I can attest to this uh, with my experiments last year is that that reflection piece uh, is critical Uh, and, and if I could recommend one thing alone if somebody's trying to you know tow their way into something just embed and totally buy into that reflection component
1: Right, and there are so many different variations of how kids can reflect. Uh, you know, for in our in our class, it's because we we are classroom teachers as well. So the bonus for us is that we get to be in the trenches doing the work, teaching, and also um, operating as coaches. So it's really great to be able to, to live in both worlds. And for us, we have a unit guide where they plan, or excuse me, they reflect daily. They they have a daily goal and they uh, reflect on their effort and understanding to that goal that takes a little bit more time but some people uh, have reflection through exit cards or emoji faces. There's so many different variations of it. It's just about identifying what does it mean in this class and how can I invite kids in to do it.
2: So to your point as well when we one of the misconceptions as you spoke of with personalized learning is kids kids can't make choices in their learning they'll make the wrong choice Um, and what we have is, you know, when we have these learning pathways and allow kids to choose, oh, this works best for me when I learn this in a, with a teacher, or I'm going to choose to work in a collaborative group, that we would have them reflect on, was that effective for them? And that's where the teacher comes in to guide them, to conference with them, and say, you know, you're not understanding these concepts, and you work in a collaborative group, so that wasn't a good choice for you. We urge you to come back and join us in teacher seminar so that, you're right, we use the reflection as a way to help guide and mentor kids in understanding themselves as a learner so they can make good choices
0: for themselves. That's great. So I'm sure you all see a lot of it, um, but for people that this is a really abstract concept, um, could you give them an example of what personalized learning uh, at its finest looks like, feels like, sounds like?
1: right so one thing that comes up a lot is how with personalized learning um, is pacing and how kids are at different places and some want to pace faster and some want need a little bit more processing time and um, so we have an example of a seventh grade science teacher who has uh, she went back through her standards and um, identified which depth of knowledge they fell in and um, she created her summative assessments to reflect uh, the opportunity for kids to pace ahead. So kids could um, test early or take a summative test early and then go on to explore an essential question that they designed or created. Do you want to say some more about that? Because you're giving me, you're looking like you might want to say something. (laughs) This is how we we
2: roll. (laughs) So again, Keila spoke of our unit guide earlier. So what our unit guide is, um, and for anybody that's listening, you can res- share all of our resources um, gladly. Uh, but it's taking the teacher traditional kind of planning out a unit and putting it in a way that is, with the idea of sharing it with students, you know, with technology, we it's a new leverage to share information with kids. So we share with them this pacing guide of tradition, how the teacher plans to go throughout the unit and kids, because they have access to not only the um, the days, but also the information that the teacher is going to be sharing. They can go through that and work at a faster pace. And then the idea is not to keep going not to race through, but then to have time to go deeper, dig deeper into the learning. And so we refer to the depths of knowledge chart and we have um, kids designing their own essential questions around the topic or the unit of study and then being able to apply their learning and go a little bit deeper. So when you asked, what does personalized learning look like, sound like and feel like? um, All kids are really aware of what they should be learning or this the standards or the proficiencies. Um, They're aware of the teacher as their resource and their guide. Um, but Then they see themselves as in control of their learning and they're going to have choices in how they access. Information and at times how they show their learning.
1: And really it's what you said at the start, it's the letting go and empowering those kids. And uh, you know, in the past we've heard a lot of, oh, sixth graders can't do that, or they're not ready for that. But that's just an assumption that we make based on an educational system that is outdated and where we need more innovative instructional strategies uh, in classrooms today.
2: One of the other ways our school has helped move the work uh, systematically was we created 30 minutes on our day, which we refer to as daily flexed, and we allow students to self-select how they're going to use that 30 minutes. And so teachers uh, um, put up offerings, and so we ask them to think of this 30 minutes as an extension of their class. If you have 30 more minutes, what kids would, how could you use that time to give certain kids more support. They need to hear it again, they need extra instruction. What kids just need a little bit more processing time, a little bit more work time? And also what enrichments could you offer a learner? So we have this 30 minutes a day and kids come into their homeroom and they look at all the offerings that teachers are, are suggesting and they choose how they're gonna spend that time. And so what I mean by systematic is it forced teachers, because we actually took away some of their class time. We're on a block schedule. yeah. So we meet every day for 85 minutes. So we we went from 85 minutes to like 70 minutes. And said, you know, so in a traditional class that lasts 10 minutes of work time, we took that away. And we're now, if you had 30 more minutes of your class, what would you offer, and then we coach kids on how to understand how
1: to use that that time and, and what their what their needs are, and that again is through the reflection process and um, what you identified as PL at its finest, personalized learning at its finest, is the kid really understanding uh, where they're at, where they're going, and and how they'll get there.
2: So if I were in a class, a school, and I think that's one of the barriers is our our traditional structures that we have of you know class by class and subject by subject but if i were in a class and i was just a traditional school and i i saw kids every day for an hour i would try to work in time in my planning of that flexible time within my own classroom so if i one day i'm going to teach a lesson and the next day i'm going to have that flexible time to give kids an opportunity to circle back that need more direct instruction Give kids a little bit more processing time. And for those kids that got it the first time, I'm going to let them go deeper, and I'm going to offer some enrichments
0: for them. Yeah, all of this sounds really great, and it's actually um, making me reflect back a little bit to, uh, you know, how messy this was in the beginning. So I'm curious, from from your experience, uh, how do students initially respond to this? I mean, this really is a huge pedagogical shift. Uh, And then, so how do they initially respond? And then how have they evolved? Because I know you all have been a part of that journey.
1: Yeah, I love that question. And it makes me think of one of my favorite testimonials to personalized learning. But initially, kids are standoffish and unsure and a bit insecure, I'd say, because uh, the reality is they've been used to a script. Um, and they just want to follow the script. So I'll give you a little bit of context here. I, was, I, I teach 21st century media literacy and uh, we had kids who were um, doing persuasive speeches. They were demonstrating their understanding of uh, rhetoric and they had a topic choice that they, they could choose any topic they wanted and take a stand, that was a controversial issue and take a stance on it. So long story short, um, as kids were brainstorming, and I had the parameters of the assignment in a Google Doc, and just here's the standard, here's where we're headed, um, and but I didn't have a packet that they would fill out, or you know, you know, everything just minutely break broken down step by step in some type of formula that every kid should fit into. So I had one one young lady come up to me and say, Miss Lou, I, I have uh, I have my topic, and I said, Oh great, tell tell me what it is. And she said, I'm going to talk about how schools are getting worse. And so after I processed that for a moment, I said, uh, can you tell me more about your thinking? And she said, look, I just, I just want to pack it. Okay. Can you just give me a packet so that I can just figure this out and do the work just, just give me a packet. And I, what I heard her say was she was struggling with this invite to engage in the process and not just do school. And I said, we're, you know, Elise, you want to go out to California and start your own fashion line, right? She said, yes. And I said, so do you want someone to tell you what patterns you should use, what style of clothes you should create, and who you should create them for? And she said, no. And I said, well, Elise, me giving you a packet isn't going to get you to California. And she actually went on to write this amazing speech on how she is against cosmetic surgery. And kids gave her a standing ovation when she was done with her speech. Wow. And it was just really, and she walked out of class that day and I said, Elise, and she turned around, and I said, see what you can do without a packet. And she just started crying. And that, so that really is, it captures in a nutshell what their initial reaction is. They're uncomfortable and not used to it. But once they realize how empowered they are, uh, they run with it and do amazing things
0: yeah i mean we don't really need to go on any further after that story i mean that pretty much <laughs> sums it all up
1: that's just, one. that's just one i'll be honest of many times that was a little bit of that was a bigger moment but there are lots of small moments throughout the day where these kids finally recognize the invitation to engage and just become different learners but that hesitation at first is a result of the traditional system of
2: them learning how to do school and so teachers oftentimes can also get hung up on that. Well, I will give them a choice, but they just look at me or they don't know what to do. And that's because uh, we need to change routines for them and help them embrace the changes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's a perfect segue uh, into the next question. This is, uh, I would argue, uh, an even bigger mindset shift for the teachers. So. Um, you know, you're your coach and teacher all at the same time. So, like, what what are some of the mental obstacles that you think teachers face? And, you know, more importantly, how do we get over them?
2: Right. I, I want to speak to a couple of my kind of aha moments in my journey. Um, again, we were classroom teachers, and I would have coined myself a master differentiator i for everything we did i had three tiers because i was trying to get at the, the maybe struggling or low to to kind of average to high you know achievement intelligent students so i would always have three levels and i heard barbara bray speak and she said teachers are doing all the work and that was an aha moment yeah i'm doing all the work i'm doing all the critical thinking the creative thought and i'm just handing it over students and they're going through the motion and that was my first, I need to step back. And the other one was hearing Jim Rickaba, reading his book, um, The Power of Personalized Learning, when he said, if we want to change and we need to change traditional schools, we need to tap into one of the most underutilized resources, the students themselves. And that was another shift for me and one that I ha- we help coach teachers on is look at them as resources. And I think a lot of teachers think if they're not learning it from me, they're not gonna learn it. And what we find is when people come to our school to see what we're doing, they are amazed at what the kids are doing when they're not with the teacher, that they are having insightful conversations and they are engaged and they are um, doing the work. Um, and that's because we, you know, we created conditions to help them be successful. So that mind shift for, for teachers is definitely letting go, that they don't have to be dependent on you or hear it from you to learn um, that kids will step up and rise to the, and most of the time exceed your expectations because they're bringing in expertise that we're not even aware of. And I also think that the teachers sometimes think, well, unless I'm giving them a grade or something is worth points, they're not going to be motivated to do that. And really, what we know, if we've researched motivation, I you know I, I like Daniel Pink's work uh, with drive, is that really what motivates kids is autonomy, having some sense of control and choice, um, purpose, knowing the clear purpose, um, and that it being authentic to their learning. I know there's another
1: third one that I'm forgetting, but um, I, I think that this mindset comes from a place of good intentions. We take our job seriously and it's, we do not, um, you know, underestimate the responsibility we have in preparing these learners for their future. Uh, One thing in our work also that we thought was important is to invest in stakeholders beyond our school walls. So we've engaged our parent community quite a bit because their point of reference is also very traditional. And um, it's important for them to understand how uh, schools are evolving as well. And that's that's been a game changer for us to have that community as well, just in the know and coming to site visits and understanding that school looks different so that
0: they can have these conversations at home with their kids. Yeah, again, I mean, I, I just love everything that, that you guys are saying. In particular, something that I've never really thought of um, that I had to write down, it was just such a great thought, was uh, when you were saying that, um, you know, a byproduct of this is, you know, listening to what the kids are doing or talking about when they're not even with the teacher. like that's how you really know that what you're doing in the classroom is having an impact. Right. Um, so for me, just real quick, I, you know, I think one of the things that I really struggled with uh, from a mindset perspective was that I was the adult, I had to be the quote unquote expert, uh, and then so launching a class in design thinking and entrepreneurship, I was not even close to an expert in either one of those. I had zero formal training, um, but I was upfront with the kids and was vulnerable that, hey, I'm not the expert, and we're going to go on this learning journey together. Um, And that was very powerful to them. But even still, I found myself uh, at times standing up at the front of the room trying to lecture. And I I knew that I had done my job when uh, a couple of my kids would just stop me mid-sentence and say, hey, we're good. Stop talking to us. Let us work.
1: Yeah, vulnerability is uh, something that teachers definitely have to wrap their head around and that it's okay to be vulnerable.
2: And that you're modeling just how to be a life learner. And that, and that's one thing we talk with kids all the time about is that it's, it's about building your capacity as a learner. It's about being the skills. You want to learn anything you want. So I love that idea of just
0: learning alongside them and modeling that with them. Yeah. So look, I know people listening, um, you know, it's a little bit different slant to the podcast, but I think this is exactly what people need to hear now. Um, So you gave us a great uh, overarching view, some of the individual uh, examples and experiences that you and your students have had. but let's talk strategies briefly so if you're a beginner and you're listening to this and you're like yes i'm gonna go personalize tomorrow like what are some of the things that they could do
2: right i think that is why people are have been kind of drawn to our school because and i think what teachers are looking for is they're looking for the how we're practitioners tell me how yeah. and teachers are really great about making it their own once they see it but it's too it's too hard to just speak in theory with teachers um so uh wh- how we like i would say for any teacher um and like you said an entry point would be reflection after and just really keep making it clear and engaging them about how they learned in class that day what they learned and asking kids to think about it um and that doesn't necessarily have to come at the end of the class it maybe it's at the beginning and end of the week if you're a classroom teacher who feels like you have 50 minutes and not enough time Um, but definitely just making them aware of the strategies you're using as a teacher that's helping them learn and then if you can to start to gradually work in some of those choice options Uh, for example in our language arts class um, for summer reading the kids used to have to come in and write an essay we instead focused on an essential question and we said how does reading create an experience for one to grow answer it any way you want and then we had kids pitch come up with projects pitch them see if that, they would work and then show their learning in different ways so we slowly evolved to a personalized class by just looking at unit by unit and looking at how can we in this unit involve some element of choice somewhere within the unit. That was kind of our first entry point. And it's then evolved from there when we started to see kids take off and they, they got excited when they could connect to passions and interests. And they taught us so many things along the way. Then we, then we got to a point where we said, well, maybe we can give kids choice in how they access information. So for example, if I'm, if I'm teaching a concept like Ethos Appeal and I'm gonna go through a slide deck with them, and I have links on videos and and different examples. I'm gonna let kids choose how they're gonna how they're gonna engage with that. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna offer a teacher seminar on ethos. Those of you that think you need to learn this in a collaborative group because you want to socialize and you want to talk talk through your learning, you can work in a collaborative group. And the third option would be if you want to do this independently because you kind of want to go at your own speed take notes at your own speed re-look at slides re-look at videos you can work independently we have our classroom set up where there's desks at the front of the classroom around the board that are there for seminar we have desks that are are looking out the window kind of by themselves for independent work and we have desks that are grouped towards the back of the room so then when they get into we let them choose a pathway uh, and we go and we give them a set amount of time so some kids have learned ethos with me in a teacher seminar some kids have learned it by themselves and some kids have learned it in a group we come back together and do some formative practice and this serves as their feedback as whether or not they made the right choice and whether or not they learned that concept so we give them some formative practice we give them some um, some practice examples where we say underline the ethos and explain why this is an ethos appeal and we, then we give kids feedback on that. Yep, you got ethos. Nope, you did not understand this. You now need to revisit me in teacher seminar when, on the review day when we're reviewing all these appeals.
1: Or come back and flex. You're, you're coming to flex that 30 minutes Trisha talked about earlier. I, um, I think that's another entry point is just thinking about instructional time differently and how you structure time in your class. Um, because I think that comes with the choice and the pathways that, that Tricia speaks to. Um, one thing I just want to chime in on too is the teacher is absolutely not lost in all of this. There is still whole class instruction where the teacher is lecturing to everybody. There are still literary analysis essays, science labs, um, most whole class discussions. Um, those elements are not lost in all of this at all. Um, It's just a matter of looking at when you strategically do those things uh, differently, depending on kids' needs and what what they know they need and what's right in that moment with that content.
0: Okay, so now to the big picture philosophical advice for uh, not just teachers, but uh, also administrators that want to implement personalized learning?
1: Uh, Our administration is is big into having a clear mission and vision and a framework to help people get there. Our principal likes to say it's okay to find your um, you know it's okay to be where you're at but it's not okay to stay there. You got to find a seat on the bus and how can we support you? So big picture I would say um, it feels a little strange to say this, but I do believe it's true. The coaching role has been critical in moving the work and supporting people because our job is to really remove barriers. Oh, you're interested in putting together a unit guide with multiple pathways? Why don't you give me one of your units? I'll take a look at it and uh, put something together and then we'll collaborate and talk about what that could look like. Uh, so I, I, I think it's essential that the supports are in place and that um, administrators and uh, the like take small and strategic steps with, uh, you know, your last guest, um, his name escapes me now. He was great. What is his name? Uh, Tom? No. Um,
0: Yeah. Tom Vander Ark.
1: Yes. It was, I could listen to him speak all the time. Yeah. He was great. He was fantastic. But what he was saying about a timeline is so true. You know, our principal said by year three, everybody needs to be here. and so, I think a clear strategic plan with a framework that is can resonate and support people across multiple dis- disciplines, multiple content, you know, areas and, and um, departments, and supports like like coaches uh, who are there to um, help take down some of those barriers.
2: Yeah, and at Southview, so our journey at Southview has definitely been some training as a staff where we went out to other schools and and. Saw what other schools were doing and then our, our role as coaches. but then we just started by one we defined first pers- we defined common language for the whole school so all of sixth, seventh and eighth grade refers to learning pathways as teacher seminar, collaborative groups independent. We also talked about classroom space and really how does the space reflect the experience you want kids to have? And we provided some ideas on how to think of your class as really the third teacher where there's a teacher in the room. The second is the students themselves and the third is the space. Um, Most classrooms are cognitively distracting for kids and I think it was really, really uh, enlightening and freeing for teachers to think differently about classroom design versus decorations. So that was another entry point is um, we can almost give a whole other podcast on classroom space, but um, we also talked about profiles and just learning profiles where it's, a, it's, you know, any kind of tracking document for learners to understand themselves as learners, um, their interests, their passions, and also their data, their grades, their test scores, um, pathways that
1: they choose, how that went for him, all of those, all of those uh, reflective data points so that they can make data informed decisions
2: and then we had our flex schedule, of course, our daily flex where we had some flexible schedule during the day. Um, and then we got to a point where we were creating a framework planning guide for teachers to use with students. Again, that was kind of like our, this is our third year. So that's a system. I a think the a, a, a thing that we did at the system level where we asked all teachers to create this unit guide, but then we were offering them the support of collaborating with us as coaches to help them implement that. So that's kind of
0: been our journey at Self Fuel. Well, I think it's great, and um, you know, for what it's worth, I appreciate everything you're doing. And you know, I think it does. While it is important to have a, a systematic plan in place and things coming from the top, I think it's critical to have um, folks, you know, like us, um, you know, on the ground, so to speak, to really drive home the the change. So. Um, I appreciate uh, what you guys do again, and uh, I know how I uh, discovered your work. Uh, but for people interested in learning more, um, where can they find you?
2: Right, we love collaborating and sharing. Uh, we're both on Twitter at Trisha Pettis ten,
1: and it's spelled T R I C I A P E T T I S ten, number ten. And uh, Michaela, I am at Gusty G U S T I E. 03 or 03 um, and we also have a blog which is sisters so we would love to hear from people and collaborate and hear what amazing things other people are doing like yourself so
0: all right Trisha Michaela thank you again for being on the show yeah
1: thank, thank you, so
0: you. Much. all right uh, recording stopped I,
1: I, mean, I hope you feel like we gave you a enough an example
0: of All right, everyone, hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, Jason Vest here. Look, uh, we need you to subscribe to the podcast for one reason and one reason only, Uh, and that is the same reason that you choose to listen to a podcast or not. You go to it. If it seems like it's something you're interested in, the first thing you do is you look and see what the ratings are. You look and see how many people have left positive reviews. So please, if this was of any value to you, return the favor. Thank you. Have a great day.